0: Okay, I had myself turned off. Um, you can turn in your Bibles to uh, Mark chapter 8 this morning. And as we go there, I just first want to say thank you to, uh, first of all, all of you. I want to be honest, it's not exactly easy to leave somewhere you've been for over 10 years. Uh, but you all have been very welcoming and uh, uh, made that process easy for us. Uh, we had a great week last week with the church in Brookville and, and saying goodbyes and all of that and uh, we're looking forward to to being a part of the ministry here and for all that God will have for us together as we serve Him together and I want to thank everybody that came out to help us move all of our junk. Uh, it's amazing how much stuff you accumulate uh, in a short period of time Uh I think next time we move, we're going to get a roll-off dumpster or a match to burn the house down. Uh, but thanks to everybody that came out to, to uh, help us with that process and for the leadership of the church and the whole process since we've been talking leading to this point. I'm just thankful for everything that you all have done. And uh, I also want to say, I know he's not here, but thanks to Pastor Swagger. Uh, it's a, a blessing to be able to follow him and all that he's done over the the time that he's been leading your congregation it's it's uh, I I've, I've had opportunities to talk with him I've had opportunities I was telling Lynn that uh it's been maybe 6 or 7 years now that I was able to lead worship at an event that he was preaching at and it was it was uh, awesome to be able to serve with him and to just be able to follow him here is is truly humbling so uh I'm just thankful for everything That God is doing and and what God has done and just the opportunity to follow him, knowing that he is faithful and that he will lead his church, that Christ is the head of the church and he has a plan for his people. It's humbling, isn't it, to think that for some reason God chooses to work through humans uh, to to promote and, and move forward his message of reconciliation. That is a truly humbling thing, isn't it, to think that he would use us in that task. So, um, as we look today into uh, <clears throat> Mark chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 27. And I want to look today just at a few things that uh, we need to, I guess, as we start this new uh, phase of this congregation's life together, as we, as we begin that process, just a, a couple of things that we need to really ask ourselves and I'm convinced that a lot of the problems in our spiritual lives come the root of them is that we never get to the point of actually asking ourselves difficult questions, right? Especially in America, I think we live in a, in a day where, uh, let's be honest, just talking about finances and all those kind of things, excluding everything else, just looking at the things that we have, we don't really need God We all know that we need God, but I'm saying just finances, all those kind of things. We live in a day where we can slide by, we can pay our bills, we can do all these kind of things. And for the most part, we don't ever really have to think about it, right? No, we know that's not true. As I said, we know that God is the one that sustains. He gives us all of these things. But left to ourselves, we get to the point where we start thinking, I'm pretty good at making some money, I'm good at my job. All of these things... We just live on a daily basis and we have money coming in and we pay our bills. We have to go do this and we have to go do that. And we just get to the point where we forget about God and we never have to actually confront the difficult questions of life. Uh, so I want, I want to just look at a few things today as we begin together. Some of the questions that we have to ask ourselves that are kind of foundational to all of the things that we are as His body. So that's what we're going to look at here in Mark chapter 8. Starting in verse 27, it says, Jesus, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. So we know that if you go back to the all the way to the beginning, in the book of Genesis, the Bible talks about uh, the beginning, the creation uh, God's creative power and all that He, he uh, spoke into existence. And it goes on to talk about the creation of man. And we see that man had fellowship with God. He walked with God in the garden. They had communion together. That man lived out his purpose in fellowship with God. That they existed together in that place. And were able to walk with one another. And then we know that man lost his understanding of his purpose as he chose to Rebel against the principles that God uh, had laid out for His freedom, and this is something we'll eventually talk about. Is we have to understand that in order to experience freedom in life, freedom ex- freedom requires self-restraint. Right? Freedom isn't just I get to do whatever I want, whenever I want, how I want. That's not freedom. Freedom is uh, God has laid out parameters by by which all men in this world must live. He has laid out things under which we may live. And to experience true freedom, that means that God has laid out this principle. That's how I get freedom in life. I live according to this this principle. God has laid it out because that's what I was created to exist under. That's what I was created to, to live by. And as I live according to those principles, I experience freedom. So freedom only exists under God allowing man to have freedom. Right? Uh, so, so... In, in the garden, they were walking and God said, this is one of the principles that I have laid out, that you will not do this. You can do all these other things. You can walk in the garden. You can be with me. You can have fellowship with me. But you're not supposed to do this. Because if you do this, then you won't have freedom. And what did man choose to do? He lost his purpose. Right? Man was created to be free. But he chose to do what was uh, uh, contrary to the principles of God. And in that, he lost his purpose. A.W. Tozer in his book, uh, The Purpose of Man, uh, he said it this way. He said, What was the real tragedy of that dreadful cosmic rupture forever affecting mankind? The real tragedy in the Garden of Eden was that Adam and Eve lost their purpose. They forgot who they were. They did not know where they were. They did not understand where they came from or why they were here They forgot the purpose of their existence. Trying their best to shake off this moral fog, they could not. For no matter what they did, it would not shake. Therefore, hand in hand, they made their way out into the world, not knowing where they were going. Humanity still wanders in this moral and spiritual wilderness. And he goes on to to liken it to a a man who uh, had woken up from... a coma, and he was in a coma a couple, for a couple of weeks, and he had woken up and he had had amnesia. And he didn't know why he was there. He didn't know how he got there. He didn't know who he was. And here to find out that a couple weeks before, he had encountered some thieves who had beaten him severely and robbed him of everything he had, including everything that would identify him. And he goes on to talk about how uh, it's the same way today. And in, in, if you look at that spiritually, that mankind has... Encounter the enemy of his soul who has beaten him severely. Who has stolen everything uh, about him. Who has stolen everything that's valuable to him. Who has stolen everything that would identify man uh, with who he actually is. Who would give him everything that would give him a sense of identity, the enemy of man's soul has stolen from him. Uh, So in that, Man relies on everything around him to try to give him a sense of identity, right? We see it. If you look at the world around us right now, you see that people are searching all over the place for some sort of identity, right? Everybody's searching for something. Whether they would say they are or not, a lot of people probably wouldn't, would say that they're not searching for anything. They would say they know who they are. They would say they know why they're here. But if you, if you look at people's actions, the way that people live, you would see that People are searching because they have no idea who they actually are. They have no idea why they're here. Ravi Zacharias talked about uh, there's four fundamental questions of life that every person struggles with, again, whether they actually acknowledge that or not. He says they struggle with these questions number one, how did I get here? Two, why am I here? Three, how do I live here? And where am I going? Every person in the world struggles with those questions. Why am I here? How did I get here? How do I live here? Where am I going? You see, everything across humanity, regardless of how much money people have, regardless of their social status, regardless of who they know and they don't know, regardless, none of those things matter. Those are all external. The one equal thing among men from the beginning till now, and always will be until the end, is that man is searching for his identity. That is the equal thing across. It doesn't matter who it is. You cannot find a person in this world that is not asking those questions in some way. Every person is. And every person has. Because our identity has been stolen by the enemy in the beginning. When man chose to rebel against the principles of God. He's always looked for something. Man has always looked for something that transcends this world. Something that would make sense of the human experience. There's a constant striving to see, to understand, to fill the gap that remains from what was stolen from us. When the enemy of our souls would uh, lay out that temptation before Adam and he would choose to succumb to that. And he would lose all sense of identity in that moment. So the question then, all of those questions, why am I here? How did I get here? How do I live here? Where am I going? All those questions that plague mankind come together in the person of Christ. Every one of them. There's not one, one thing that we have a question about. There's not one thing in the human experience uh, that doesn't come together in the person of Christ. There was a, a guy, I think it was in the 70s, his name was Malcolm Muggeridge, but he was uh, he was not saved and then eventually he, he became saved and he was a professor and all those kind of things. I think he was a reporter, but uh he had wrote, uh, in one of his books, he wrote that Christ is the coherence of all human experience. Everything that humans experience, everything that you experience on a daily basis, everything that we struggle with becomes coherent in the person of Christ. Everything that we're searching for becomes coherent in the person of Christ. So all of the questions that we see come together in Him. So we're going we're gonna to look through that a little bit here today. So in verse 27, the first thing we're going to look at is here. It says, the Bible says, on the way he asked them, Who do people say that I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. So the first question Christ comes to them with is Who do other people say that I am? Who do those, uh, who do the people in the world say that I am? I just happened to get to uh, looking in this and uh, I came across a study in 2014 done by uh, George Barna and uh, they had uh, polled a little over 4,000 people and and these were all Americans I believe and uh, 56% of them said that they believed that Christ was divine. 44% of them said that he was just a human religious leader or they were unsure. 31% said... Uh, They don't believe that Jesus ever committed sin. Fifty-two percent of people said Jesus was not sinless when he walked the world. Some of the other answers that, that were very prominent was, Christ has no bearing on my salvation because they have obeyed the Ten Commandments. He has no bearing on my salvation because I'm basically a good person. No bearing because God loves all people and will not let anyone go to hell. So you have all of these ideas. He asks the question of His disciples, Who do people say that I am? And those are some of the answers that we see today. If you ask that question today, Who do people say that I am? A lot of people would say He's just a prophet. He's just a good man. He wasn't actually sinless. He doesn't really have any bearing on my life because if I just obey the Ten Commandments, then I'm going to go to heaven. If I'm good enough, I'll go to heaven. So the point in that is all of those answers strip Christ of His divinity. They strip him of all that he was, all that he uh, was in the fullness of God. Uh, Then we go on and we see all of the other world religions, uh, simply like Islam and many other world religions that believe he was a prophet, nothing more. Or then you go to even other pagan religions who see Jesus as simply another superstition to make sure they have all their bases covered. I I love to study... uh, um, I went through a period where I was studying paganism and, and all of those kind of things uh, because, believe it or not, there are ways that it's starting to infiltrate the church in America. Uh, but as I was looking into some of those things, I came across this to, in one of the books that I was studying, uh, and it's called The Great Magical Papyrus of Paris. It originated in Egypt uh, in the year between 100 and 150 AD. It was used in some form of what they called exorcism, but I want you to pay attention to how they said this in all of these kind of things that they would recite. It says, The protective charm you must write on a tin tablet and hang it on the patient. This is the object of fear, for every demon and frightens him. Stand facing him and exercise him. The formula of exorcism is the following. I conjure you by the God of the Hebrews, Jesus uh, you who appear in the fire. I pray to the holy God through Ammon, uh, who is the e- Egyptian God of sun and air. I conjure you by him who appeared to Israel. So the point is, it goes on and on about those kind of things, but the point is that this guy is talking about, he's, he's trying to conjure the spirit through the God of Israel, and then he's saying, I'm, I, I, I pray to you by the God of Ammon. The point is that in these pagan religions, and we see it in the world today, but people see uh, things as simply superstition, meaning that, uh this, this guy in particular was, was bringing up all these names of these different gods, trying to cover his bases. That's all he was trying to do. Now I would contend today that there are times in Christianity where we, we might believe simply in Jesus, but we don't believe in the heart of who he is, and therefore it becomes superstition. It's just, I, I pray, how many times have you heard people say, well, all we can do is pray about it, right? That should be the first thing that we do. It shouldn't be all that we can do is pray about it. My, my point is that sometimes simple things like prayer have become a superstition. Like I'm going to work as hard as I can to take care of it, but I'm going to pray so I can make sure my bases are covered. Right? That's what it has become to us sometimes. And I'm saying this, when it gets to that point when it's heartless, when this is heartless for us, but we're going to pray anyway because it's religion, it's not a whole lot different than this pagan superstition. That's, if you ask that question of the world, who does, who does the world say that he is? You could find anything from, from people who believe, well, he doesn't mean anything because I obey the Ten Commandments, to a pagan religion who just calls on him the same as they would any other God. That's what people in the world think of, of Christ today. So what does the Word of God say about who he is? For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. John 14:6 says this, I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me. Acts 4:12 says salvation is found in no one else there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which he must be saved. We go on and if as you look through the word of God you see there are countless descriptions of Christ, but some of them are as He is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, beginning and the end. He's an advocate. Uh, 1 John 2.1 says, My dear children, I write this to you, that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteousness, the Righteous One. The Bible says He is the bread of life. He is the Good Shepherd. He is the King of kings. He is the risen Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. The point is that the world would claim that Christ is just a man, that He wasn't divine, that He wasn't all that He claimed to be. But You understand when we look to the Word of God to try and understand what uh, the Bible says about who He is, the claims that Christ made about Himself in His Word, we see something that is unique beyond anything else in this world. You understand that there is no other religion whose claims hang on their one figure. Meaning that in any of the other figures, religious leaders, if you took them out of the equation, the, the system could still exist. What, what was Christ's claim? If we look in the Word of God in 1 Corinthians 15:14, it says, And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. You understand that the claim of Christ is drastically different than anything else that you will find in the world. He hung everything that He preached, everything that He said, everything that he, all the miracles that He performed, everything that happened in the life of Christ, all that He said that He represented, all that the Word of God says He represents. The Bible says He represents the fullness of God. All of those things hang on an empty tomb. If that tomb was not empty, the Bible says it's foolishness. If that tomb was not empty, it says there is no reason for us to be sitting here doing this. There is no other religion that makes that claim. There is none. Now we have a distinct difference in perspectives here. We have the world that says that He is not divine. That He was just a man. He was just a prophet. He was just a superstition. And we have the Word of God that says that He was fully God. That all that the Father is, the Son represents as He came to this earth and you see Him walking on the earth, you see Him performing miracles, you see Him interacting with people, everything that He is, the Father is. He is the exact representation of the Father. That is distinctly different than what the world claims. So the question... We don't have the to, time to get into all, all the... Prophecies fulfilled by Christ, and I assure you that there are hundreds. But as we look into this person of Jesus, who just won't seem to go away in this world, right? People have been trying since Christ walked the earth to extinguish him, to do away with his word. To destroy his people. We see it on Easter morning. How many people in Sri Lanka were killed by bombings? I don't remember the exact amount. It was hundreds. In spite of all of that, the message of Christ has continued. So the question then, we have the world saying that he was not divine. We have the Bible claiming that he is fully God that He raised from the dead. And that if He did all these things, we should give everything that we have to walk with Him. Everything that we have to pursue Him. Everything that we have to know Him. We have those two claims. Those are our two options. And believe it or not, it's not a given in the church that people stand on this side where they believe that, God, that Christ was fully God. God. That He is fully divine. That we should give everything that we have to Him. That's not a given in the American church. So the question that is posed to us today is the same that Christ asked His disciples in verse 29. He said, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered Him. He said, you are the Messiah. See, every one of us has to answer that question all of those questions of life, the fundamental questions of life come together in the person of Christ. well, how did I get here? Why am I here? How do I live here? Where am I going? All those things that we struggle with come together in him. The question is what do we believe about him? now, when you think about this and when you're asked this question, what do you who do you say that he is? I think a common defense is to start talking about all of the things that You've seen failings of people. It's easy to to avoid the question of who Christ is because we've seen failings in people who claim to be His followers. Right? But when we ask the question, who, who do you say that Christ is, we're not talking about some uh, denomination that we've had a bad experience with, we're not talking about a religious leader who has failed you. We're talking about what the Word of God says about Jesus Christ. Who do you say He is? Who do you say He is? Forget forget the externals. Forget the people who sit in this room and in the church down the road. Forget the, the, the religious leaders who have in our country failed in in major ways and it's been all through the news. Forget all of those things. If Christ is standing here, who do you say He is? The number one thing you have to recognize is people are going to fail. right? People are going to fail you. My understanding of Christ is based on who He says He is. And do I believe that or not? So the question exists for us today. It's relevant to His church because it forces us to confront our worldview. Is the Christ we represent the Son of the living God or do we represent a Christ who has been stripped of His divinity and clothed in religion? You see, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, it says, We are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. We are Christ's ambassadors. Those who would claim uh, to be people of God, those who would claim to, to have received salvation in Christ, we are His ambassadors, as though God was making His appeal through us. And if you consider what it means to be an ambassador... One of the simplest definitions would basically be somebody who is sent by a kingdom to a foreign land to represent the official position of the kingdom by which he has been sent. So if I were to be sent to a foreign land by uh, by America, I would go to that foreign land to represent the official position of the American government, right? The American people. That would be my purpose in that land. And in the same way we walk this earth, as foreigners, the Bible says that we walk this earth as strangers in this land, looking towards our heavenly home. Our citizenship is in heaven. So as I walk this earth as an ambassador of Christ, my uh, purpose then is to represent the official position of the kingdom by which I am sent. Amen. Now the problem is, our first, the first thing we have to confront then, what do I say because what do I believe about Christ? When people ask me about him, what do I say? Who do I say that he is? I am supposed to represent the official position of my king. The Bible says he is the king of kings, so what do I believe about him? Who do I say he is? Who do I say he is when I'm at work and I have the opportunity to cheat to make more money? Who do I say he is when I have the opportunity to hear or participate in gossip about someone? Who do I say he is when I experience suffering or loss? Or need comfort? Who do I say he is when I experience joy and blessing? Who do we say he is when we make decisions about the church? Who do we say he is when we choose to get upset and hold grudges about things that happen in the church? Because believe it or not, that happens. I know of situations where people have held grudges in the church for decades. That happens. And in that moment where we choose to hold on to something like that, who am I saying He is? I might, with my words, tell you all that the Bible says about Christ. But what do my actions say? Who do I say He is with my actions? He's asking us that today. Who do you say I am? When you make decisions concerning your children. When you make decisions concerning your children and all the activities they're involved in compared to the amount of time spent teaching them about a relationship with Christ. I'm not telling you not to put your kids in, in activities. I'm not telling you that at all. It just for instance, here, sports is an easy thing to pick on, right? I'm not telling you not to put your kids in sports, and drive them all over the place to do those things, because I know it's going to happen anyway. My question is, what are you talking about in the car when you're missing Sunday morning to go to the baseball field? That's fine. That's fine. Do it. But the the question is, what are you talking about? You're missing that time where they should be learning about Christ. So are you filling in that gap? That's not just with sports. That could be education. I'm not telling you not to educate your kids. That is the last thing I would tell you. But what I'm telling you is that there are times where we place an emphasis on everything in the world over teaching our kids about the inevitable thing that they are headed towards is death, right? It's going to happen. Going to happen for our kids, and in that moment, all of those questions come together in the moment where somebody—I don't know if you've ever seen somebody as they were dying—to um, see somebody as they their breaths become very sparse and they take a breath here and 30 seconds later they take another breath in that moment nothing else matters other than those questions do you know the answer to the reasons why i am here how did i get here how did i live here and where am i going in that moment those are the only things that matter and the answer to that question who do you say that i am I'm not, I'm not trying to hammer on, I, again, I want you to make sure you understand I'm not hammering on activities. I'm just saying, as parents, as adults in the church, we have a responsibility to teach our children a living faith. Something that is truly living. A lot of times the question is asked, why, why do our kids fall away when they get to be 18 years old or, or 16 or 18 and they go to college? I would say most of the time it's because they haven't seen a living faith. Nobody sat down and told them why we believe what we believe. They haven't seen a consistent worldview where somebody, they can look on and say that adult believes. When the question is posed, who do you say that Christ is? I know exactly who they believe Christ is. That's what people are looking for. They're looking for a living faith, somebody who actually believes that Christ is who he says He is. That's what people are looking for. They're looking on their parents. They're looking on the other adults to see. What, what do you do? Who do you say Christ is in all of these situations? Who do you say Christ is when you sit down at night to turn on your TV? Who do they think? that you think Christ is, when they see what you're watching on TV. Every one of these things is valid questions that we absolutely need to ask ourselves as Christians. you see, if the church can't live out a worldview that is rooted in Christ as the Son of the living God, then we should have no questions at all as to why the culture is going the way it is. We've got to be able to live out a consistent worldview. I'm not saying we're not going to have failings as human beings, because we will. But I think... If we believe that Christ is the Son of the Living God, if He is our Advocate, if He is the one who makes us righteous, if He is the one who makes us uh, makes the way for us to be stand, be able to stand boldly and confidently before God, if He is the one who provides that, then we should absolutely be able to throw off everything and anything that grabs our attention away from Him and pursue Him as our lifeline. The problem is, as I said, I believe too many times we are too comfortable to have to ask ourselves those difficult questions of life. Why am I here? How did I get here? How am I living? And where am I going? See, the world is looking for answers the same as we talked about, the man with amnesia would have been looking for answers to his identity and he relied on the medical staff around him to to restore his health to the point where he could gain some sort of understanding of who he is. Um, The world is looking for answers. They have been stripped of identity. The problem is there are more than enough people and avenues of pursuing answers that give false hope. And people are more than happy today to accept the superficial answer. understand that we have a message that is unique in the person of Christ. The divine Son of God is drastically different than anything else you can find in this world. We cannot fail by never asking ourselves those difficult questions. What do I believe? Who do I say He is? And when you ask yourself that question, don't analyze your words. Analyze your actions. Look at the last week of your life and sit down and look at everything that you did And allow that to show you what do you believe, who do you say that he is. Mankind is striving to see, striving to look for identity, striving to find his purpose and meaning, and understanding of how to live here and understand where he's going. It's amazing to see uh to see Riley and in her different stages that she's going through and uh keep saying that uh I keep telling her that she can't get any bigger, but she's not listening <laughs> I like her this this size, but I don't know it must have been a couple months ago now um we we're getting her ready for a bath and uh we had this little pillow that she kind of lays on uh, when we're getting everything ready. and We look over and she is striving so hard to sit up. She hates laying down. She wants to stand. She wants to sit up so she can see. Uh, so she, we look over and she had her knees up into her chest and her arms up and, and her head up. And she was trying, like she was doing a crunch or something, she was trying so hard to sit up. Uh, I mean, that went on for probably 20 or 30 seconds. She was just trying so hard. And uh, you understand that, I mean, that's a little baby doing that, but it's no different with humanity. It just gave me this vision of humanity striving so hard to sit up to see to be able to see something beyond themselves, to gain a greater vision, to understand all of these questions, why am I here? You understand that, again, all of that comes together in Christ. We don't have to strive to sit up to see. We don't have to strive to find what transcends this world. All we have to do is accept All we have to do is submit ourselves to Christ. All we have to do is acknowledge and then order our lives in a way that would show that we believe that Christ is who He says He is. And as we do that, as we submit ourselves to Him, the Spirit of God brings down His hand and He allows us, He pulls us up. He sits us up to be able to see and gain vision and understanding of all the things around us. He gives us an understanding of all those questions of life. Why am I here? How did I get here? Where am I going? How do I live here? All those things. He gives us vision of those things as He sits us up. You see, striving to gain answers to those questions will leave you empty. You will never find an answer in yourself from striving, from working hard enough. You will never find that answer. The answer to those questions comes from resting in the arms of the Savior and allowing His spirit to be the one to sit us up, to give us vision, to help us to see. As the worship team comes up and we, we close today. We have to we have to be real. Realistic with ourselves, personally, in the things that we believe. This is the foundation to all things. Who do we say that Christ is? Christ is the head of the church. If He is the head of the church and we seek to endeavor in ministry together as the church, the question is, is relevant to every single one of us, myself included. Who do you say? Who do we say that He is? Because you understand that we can spend the next five or ten or fifteen, however many years, we can spend all these years working. We can do some good things. We can do some good moral things. But if we don't believe Christ is who He says He is, We're not accomplishing anything of any eternal value. So today, who do we believe? As the Barsmill Mill Church of God, who do we believe that He is? We believe that He is the divine Son of God. Do we believe that our merit before God is dependent on Him? Or is he basically just another superstition to cover our bases? God, we thank you today for the opportunity to serve you, to worship you. Father, it is humbling to know that you have blessed us with the gift of salvation. And Father, there's nothing that we ever could have done to be good enough for that, but Father, that You have raised us up as Your Word says to be a kingdom of priests, people of Your own possession. And Father, as we walk in that, in every day, every moment, every situation that we encounter, Father, we pray that all things that we encounter would be viewed through the lens of Christ and who Your Word says that He is, who He said that He is. Father, that our number one desire above all things would be to glorify You, to be an ambassador that represents Your official position on all matters. Father, we love You today. We worship You. In Your name we pray. Amen.